Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Only a few more days before we celebrate the most amazing person to ever enter planet Earth. And, and we're in this whole series, Who is This Man? This is our last week, but it's certainly not the last time you'll ever ask that question in your life. I've asked that a lot of times across the course of my life. And today, I just want you to know that today he wants to give you all a present. Now, we've been focused on figuring out what to get others, what to give to others, right? And in some families, they do lists, and others, they, it's, you have to come up with it yourself or it's not really a present, right? There's all kinds of philosophies on that. But I know this, that today it's not about that person sitting next to you. It's not about the family that's not in the room or that friend that you haven't bought for yet. Jesus has a gift for you. And um, as we start, I just have to ask a couple of questions. And it's about broken things. Okay, I don't know. I could ask, how many of you have had something break in the last month in life? Yeah. We won't ask what it was, okay? There's some interesting stories that go with that. But I have a couple of questions for you. And show of hands, how many of you, when something breaks around your house, you are the DIYers, you phone a friend, you go on YouTube, you uh, look at a book, you pick out a manual, and you figure it out? How many of you would raise your hands proudly? Okay, let's just applaud them now. They're the, the greatest, okay? Those DIYers, okay? But how many of you would say... Oh, no, that's not what I do. I'm not a DIYer. I call the handyman, the repairman, the plumber, you name it. I call somebody. Help somebody. Oh, yeah, Jared and I would have both hands raised. Okay, notice nobody wants to clap for us. Okay, right, for us. Okay, now some of us are thinking, let's nurse this thing along. If we're gentle with it, if we're careful with it, we might get another day, another week, another month. We might even get years more time out of it. How many of you are that? And these are the hearty, frugal souls. That would be, my in-laws were like this. It was a great quality. Well, the thing is, that waiting and nursing it all along. I have a sister who's done that with a Honda Accord, and she's got 470 plus thousand miles on it. So, yeah. So, there we go. There we go, the frugal people. Raise your hands again. We need to applaud you. Yeah. But the truth is, we live in the middle of broken stuff, and we live in the middle of our own brokenness and others' brokenness. And if you had any doubts about it, I just want to read you some wonderful thank yous from our precariously housed students who you were awesome about giving gifts to them this Christmas. And I'm just going to read you a few of their responses if you had any doubts about brokenness. Dear Secret Santa, thank you for the gifts you gave me, and I wish I could see you with me looking on what you gave me. Have a happy, great Christmas. Their family was evicted recently, and they went to stay with the mom's sister, 19 of them in a two-bedroom apartment. The school made the locker room available for, so that these boys could shower. Another one. Thank you for all the presents. I love it. So really, thanks so much. Hugs. Eighth grader. This eighth grader has bone marrow cancer. Family was living in an unheated garage and now found an apartment. The students will stay for the rest of the year in their schools because of special transportation offered through Title X. 
Another one. I would like to thank you very much. What you have given me is from the warmth and kindness of the heart. It means a lot to me to receive what you have given me. I wish you all the warmest wishes this holiday season. May Christ and the Holy Father bless your hearts. Warmest wishes and God bless. This 11th grader was placed in teen shelter this school year and struggles with depression. Another. I am very appreciative for you and your gifts. Bless your heart and Merry Christmas. This 11th grader is living in a clean and sober house with mom and siblings. He's had bad anger issues before, especially when he was in many foster care placements and his mom was using. She is now employed and learning a new way to live, and he is on ADHD medication, able to focus more on school. Thank you so much for the Christmas gift bag. It means more to me than you would ever know. Have an amazing Christmas and enjoy the holidays. He has one credit left to graduate. He's no longer on juvenile probation. And he's working hard to be successful. Or this one. Thanks so much for the gifts. It helps a lot. I hope your family has a great Christmas. You guys are good people that love to give. And that's the true meaning of Christmas. This ninth grader was recently returned to their parent after foster care and spent middle school in eight different middle schools because of foster care movement. I don't think I need to go further to help us all remember that we live in the middle of brokenness, that we are broken people. I know even in my own story, as the child in an alcoholic home, I became aware at an early age that there is brokenness and that I was a part of it. But in addition to that, I learned something really important. That there's a brokenness that happens in our lives that cannot be DIY'd. And that points us to a person, the person we're going to talk about today, the Prince of Peace. And that there is someone who can fix the gnarliest brokenness that we'll ever face And the answer is never to avoid, and the answer is never to hide from brokenness or try to ignore it, try to get by with it. That never results in wholeness. And today, Jesus wants to assure us. He wants to inspire us. He wants to encourage us today with this truth, that his response to brokenness is not like ours. He runs to it. He invades it. He came for it. He came to fix it once and for all. And he loves you today, whatever your story, wherever you're at in your journey with him. He loves you. He loves every person on planet earth, whatever their story is. And he was willing to do whatever it took to make wholeness possible out of our brokenness. So who is this man called Prince of Peace? Well, I think to start with, we need to start with God's big story. Yes, right at the beginning of the Bible. And God made this amazing planet. And this is a globe ornament, which is, it's just beautiful. And this is a great representation of that first look at planet Earth. When God made it, he said it was very good. And All of creation, the plant life, the animal life, the people, all of the parts and all of the participants in God's creation were at peace with each other. They were at peace with God. And all was right. They enjoyed the presence of God. 
They understood and heard the sound of God without interruption and interference, like some bad radio frequency. It was a beautiful, perfect place. And it's into that place, this Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve were placed. And then something happened. The one thing that God told them not to do. He said, there's one tree in this garden that I don't want you to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you eat from it, you will die. He only had their best interests at heart. But they decided one day to go their own way. That's what it means to turn and go your own way. To not do it God's way. And they took from that tree. Eve first took the fruit, ate it, and gave it to Adam. And when that happened, everything changed. What had been beautiful and whole, harmonious, without any form of brokenness, was now in pieces. I don't know what your heart did when that broke. Maybe you're like me and you went, oh, would you have tried to catch it? But God's heart is clear, and that's what we want to talk about today. It changed everything. Suddenly, there was brokenness in the creation itself. The bugs, the plant life, all of it changed. Gnarly elements were introduced, things at war with each other, things that fought for each other, for ground. But people, Adam and Eve, became at odds with each other and at odds with God. They immediately began to hide and to cover up. Our normal, typical response to brokenness, by the way. But it was in this state of brokenness. This is the place that Isaiah was speaking into. He wasn't speaking into a world like this any longer. He was speaking into this where life was in pieces. And he, along with a lot of other prophets, had a singular mission God was speaking through them to let his people know, help is on the way. Trust in me. Return to me. Though the prophet said it different ways and used different illustrations for people, it all reflected God's big heart toward brokenness. That he runs to it, and he is going to send the one who will run to it and who will fix all the wrongs. He'll right them all. He will redeem them all and restore what's broken. He'll take care of Of your sin once and for all. And these prophets would say, pay attention. Don't miss out. Because that was God's heart. He didn't want anybody to miss out on this. He didn't want any of us to stay like this. So imagine how Isaiah's words landed on this audience back then. The people of Judah. This part of what had been a whole nation. But for almost 250 years, it had been divided into this northern kingdom called Israel, and this southern kingdom called Judah. And there was going to be almost another 250 years of that. A place where civil war had divided them even from themselves for hundreds of years. And just to put a little perspective on that, the civil war that we experienced, that we call the bloodiest war that separated fathers from from other fathers and grandfathers and sons and brothers 
and divided families, especially in those border states, the Civil War, it only lasted from 1861 to 1865. It was less than five years. And we're talking about the people that Isaiah was speaking to had only known in their lifetime this. They'd never experienced that kind of wholeness. Furthermore, there is an army coming from the far north. As Jared mentioned last week, and we mentioned the week before, that the Assyrians, this fierce group of people who were on the move to invade and take over countries, was on the way there, threatening them with invasion. Brokenness was the norm. You see, in this time, the king had all the authority of God himself. The king was seen as divine, and all others were considered less. And less than all those others were some other people, like peasants and slaves and women and children and the diseased and the handicapped and the poorest of the poor. These were all less than. And it was this kind of brokenness that Isaiah was speaking into. Let's read Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 this week. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Then, when, and now. We want to think about that. We want to think about what this meant then, what it meant when Jesus came, and what it means now for you and I today. What's this gift that Jesus is waiting to give each one of us? Well, then what they heard was, God's got a peace plan. You've heard of peace talks. Those are always put together by people with a peace plan. But Jesus came, but God came with this announcement through Isaiah the prophet. And the first thing that would have gotten their attention about God's peace plan is this. This peace plan was a forever peace plan. It wasn't temporary. It wasn't just for the moment. He says in his own words, of this kingdom, there will be no end. From this time on and forever, Isaiah says, this peace will be a lasting peace. And you have to remember, these people had no context for this. They had had a life, an entire life lived with a a life riddled with conflict, both within and without. This was big to them. In fact, Isaiah repeats this promise in many different ways throughout his prophecy, throughout his 34 years. But in Isaiah 54.10, he says it in such an encouraging way. May I read it for you? It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never, never be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This peace plan was going to be implemented by the Prince of Peace, the one we're talking about today, this one that was going to come. And peace in the Bible, it's so much bigger of a word, so much fuller of a word than when we use it or when John Lennon used it and had his bed in for peace. You might remember that he rented an exclusive room in a high-rent hotel in New York City and had a bed-in for peace. That's really rough in it, isn't it? 
But we're not talking about that kind of peace, a very temporary fleeting peace. We're talking about a full word. This word meant to the wellness, the wholeness, the completeness that only God can bring from the spirit, for the spirit, for the soul, and for the body. That's an amazing peace. It included everything. It includes our contentment. It includes our mental health. It includes our physical well-being. It included our prosperity, having enough for what we need to have a full life. It included our spiritual life. There is nothing removed from this idea of the shalom of God. It was closely related to our word for salvation in its meaning. The full peace and restoration and wholeness and completeness of God. It was, if you will, the shalom of God was this. None of this. He'll be settled with nothing less than this in our lives. That's what this peace word meant. So what did the people of Judah hear back then? God has a peace plan and it's a, an eternal plan. And what this means is that we're not no longer going to be bothered by an invading army. We're no longer going to be invaded and we're no longer going to be occupied by a foreign government. He's coming and it's not going to be a compromise. It's not going to be a negotiation and it's not going to be a truce where we have to give a little and they give, our enemies give a little. And in fact, it's not a plan, it's a person. And this was amazing good news for them. Now you have to remember for them, it would have been very literal. Not heaven, not a heavenly idea. Not that kind of kingdom. It would have been an earthly kingdom. It was that this one was going to come and we're going to be top dog from here on out. We're not going to have any more wars here on planet earth. This was the lens that they heard Isaiah's promise with. But here's the big news in God's decision to fix what's broken in our lives. It's this, that God decided to fix it, not start over, not run from it, not throw it out. God hasn't thrown up his hands, gotten exasperated with us, gotten so frustrated with us or fed up with us. Okay, maybe those are some of the parental emotions running rampant this Christmas as you're, as you're dealing with your excitement of your kids. But he doesn't do that. He's going to fix us. He's going to restore us. He's going to bring this wholeness out of the pieces of our lives. He's not lining us up like some... House cleaner, somebody there to organize you, pulling everything out of your life and putting it into three piles, keep, toss, and a maybe. He's not looking across this room going, that's a maybe. You're a keep. Oh, you, you're a toss. He's already made a decision. He's going to fix you. He's going to restore you. He wants to do that. That's his gift to us. God's sending a child with a permanent peace plan for everything that's broken. It says that even creation is groaning in anticipation of the day of their redemption, the day that the Prince of Peace will come and set things right, set it back better than ever. In fact, the Bible tells us that's called a new heaven and a new earth. What does that mean? That means that that broken place in your marriage that addiction that you've lived with and thought that you were hiding so well. That child, be they young or be they older, 
who's going their own way right now. That broken friendship or that sibling that you're having trouble with, God has a peace plan. And you can't believe anything less than that. Well, you can, but he doesn't want you to. Because he wants you to be in on it. He wants you to experience wholeness. Don't settle for less than that. This was a promise about the future of their nation to these people of Judah. But for us, it was a promise about much, much more. So what happened when Jesus did show up? When this one who was going to bring this permanent peace, who was going to restore everything that was broken, what happened? Well, when Jesus showed up in this village in Bethlehem in a feeding trough with a bunch of animals for roommates. Hmm, that reminds me, in college, I think a lot of people have animals for roommates. But just not these animals. That's just a little thought that popped in my head. Okay, I won't tell you about mine. Okay, but when Jesus came, he invaded brokenness. He changed everything. He didn't run from it. He didn't flinch at it. He didn't condemn it. When he saw us break, he reached out. He came near. That's his response to our brokenness. He came to bring peace in our relationships with God, with each other, and with ourselves. You know, we all have a room or a drawer or a area that's messy. Okay, we call it a junk drawer, a storage room. We have fancy names for it. A place that's messy, and it's usually a place that we keep people from seeing. We don't hang out in that place, and we like to hide it from view, and only the few, the Marines, can see that place. In fact, only our best friends can see it. Isn't that the truth? I mean, you know, if you've gotten to see my junkiest places, you know you're really, really tight with me. Okay, we're like this. But that's not what Jesus does. Not at all. When Jesus came, he walked right into that messy room, that junk drawer. He walked right up to the messiest part of people's lives. And that's where he started with them. He walks right into that mess. So he came to this world with brokenness in all of its forms. And he came to something that we have titled less than. And he did something that amazed and astounded, and yes, it even angers some people that he would be this good. He engaged with our brokenness. He came near it. He touched it. He let himself be touched by it. He let himself feel it. He cried over it. Let's think about that for a minute. He came near. He's headed through Jericho. He just gets to the other side of town. He's on his way, his last trip to Jerusalem before the cross. And he stops at a tree for a man who's up in that tree trying to see him. And it's this guy named Zacchaeus, and he's the chief tax collector. He's not even a, just a tax collector. He has lived a life of thievery, of bribery, of extortion, and what many would have termed betrayal. And yet that's what Jesus did. He stopped, and he said, come down from that tree, and I'm coming home with you. And that very day salvation, wholeness, completeness, the peace of God, the wholeness of God came to this man, Zacchaeus. Jesus came near. He touched it. He had just finished one of his most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. You can read about it in Matthew 8. He comes off the mountainside where he's been teaching who knows how long. And a leper comes up to him. And he reaches out. And he calls out to Jesus and said, If you're willing, you can heal me. 
And Jesus did something that we wouldn't do, that we don't like to do with brokenness. We like to stand back. We like to hide from it. We like to ignore it, avoid it, walk by the other side of the road. Jesus reached out to this leper and he touched him. The unthinkable in that time and that place. And he said, I am willing. Be whole. He touched our brokenness. He let himself be touched by it. He shows up at a party of a very important person, a Pharisee. He's at that party, reclined there at table with a bunch of the other party goers. When a woman walks in, a woman that everybody knows is less than. We don't know exactly why. We just know they called her that sinful woman. There's thoughts that she was a prostitute. But honestly, we don't know what it was, just that it was publicly known she was on the less than list. She would have been in the toss bin if we had the choice. But this is the woman who came and used her tears to wash Jesus' feet and her hair to dry it. And this is the woman to whom Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Go in shalom. The wholeness, completeness of God. Because he let himself be touched with our brokenness. And he still does today. He let himself fill it. He's, He's going into a little village called Nain, and there's a widow. Her only child, only living family, is in a casket being carried in a funeral procession. And Jesus stops the whole procession. He says, he orders them to open up this casket. And he raises that son to life and presents him to his mom. But before he does that, it says this, and Jesus' heart went out to her. He let himself be touched with what brokenness does to us and how it makes us feel and the loss that we have and the grief that we might have over it. He let himself feel it. And then he cried over brokenness. He knows he's going to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. But even though he knows that, he looks around as he's about to do it and he sees all the people crying and all of Lazarus' friends and all of these important people looking to see what Jesus is going to do. And he just looks at that grief and that loss, at the ultimate brokenness, Death itself. And it says Jesus wept. But he just doesn't weep for a friend or for somebody that, like that. He wept for whole groups of people, whole nations of people. And we know that as he came into Jerusalem toward the end of his life, in Luke 19, it records these words as he looked at them. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, what would bring you completeness, what would bring you wholeness, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And I believe that today he weeps over this in our lives, wherever it's happening, whatever, how small we might think it is. But he didn't stop there. And this is the good news today. Because Jesus uniquely and only came and fixed it. He did something to fix it. Not a temporary fix. A little super glue, a little drywall patch, a rebuilt transmission. But something that would take care of our brokenness once and for all. Because he was all about putting us back together again. He knew what had to be done to restore us. He knew that it would take somebody whole to make us whole. The writer to the Hebrews says it this way. Such a high priest, 
like Jesus, meets our need. One who is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priest. He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. This is the amazing thing. This prince of peace, he didn't fight to bring wholeness. He didn't run from brokenness. He didn't make a deal with brokenness. He didn't try to dazzle brokenness with the display of heavenly power. Instead, he died. He became broken for us in our place. You see, our brokenness began in a garden. And Jesus was in a garden, hours away from his own death. And he made a different decision than we did. He was faced with dying for us. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Adam and Eve said, not thy will, but my will. And all of a sense have made that statement. But Jesus understood what was needed and he went to the cross. He went to the cross for you and me. He chose to go to it. He defeated sin once and for all. And the thing is, he did it in a way that nobody imagined. Everybody imagined it was going to be earthly kingdom, overthrow the government, take care of Rome. But he didn't do it by overthrowing Rome or proclaiming his great invincibility. He did it by submitting himself to the ultimate brokenness, death. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And when the Prince of Peace came to planet Earth, he brought heaven with him through his death and his resurrection. He came to fix what was broken. And your sins and my sins were taken care of that day. We can have peace with God, peace from our guilt and our shame, our hiding, our covering, our fear, all of it. Every single one of us. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through him, through Jesus Christ, through this Prince of Peace, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That means that Jesus Christ, Prince of Wholeness, made somebodies out of nobodies. You see, because of him, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. All of us are in Christ. That was a lasting declaration that wholeness is not for just the special few. It's for the less thans in life, if that's how they're being rated. Because there are no less thans. In God's eyes and in Christ, all of us are valuable. The outcasts become insiders. There's peace, as Isaiah said it, to those who are near and to those who are far. Now we know that the people in Judah would have heard Gentiles too. But for us, it's enough to know that there is peace for everyone. Enemies are loved and people who are cursors will be blessed. And every person can be restored to the Imago Dei, the image of God, the, God's original design for us. 
then God didn't run from our brokenness. He ran to it. He brought a permanent peace plan for every form of brokenness. When Jesus came, he invaded our brokenness with wholeness. He came near it. He touched it. He felt it. He embraced it. And ultimately, he became it for our sake. He did what had to be done to restore us. So what about now? What about my brokenness right now? What about your brokenness right now? Jesus wants to restore our brokenness. It's got a fancy name, this restoring our brokenness to God's original design, his image in us. It's the word sanctify, and Jesus tackles our brokenness in relationship with us. And he does it little by little. It's as though he holds up our life like this and he begins putting the pieces back together. In Christ, he sees you this way. In Christ, you're already there. But as we look at each other, I'm afraid this is what we're looking at. Some of us with more pieces than others put back together. But there's coming a day when all of us will see and be seen this way, completely whole with the fullness of God. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he wrote these words in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the thing. Jesus' restoration is an invasion of sorts. It messes with what we've learned to handle and what we've learned to live with and what you and I have learned to live without. You see, when somebody gets the diagnosis of a life-threatening illness to their physical body, you know what they do? I'm sure I've had friends. They kick into gear and they start researching for things that might help. And they get second opinions. And they try alternative treatments. And they might travel to far parts of the world in hopes that there is a way to restore their physical body. To avoid that ultimate brokenness of death. They'll run through bureaucratic red tape. They'll charge right through it. They'll do all kinds of unconventional things. But the funny thing is when it comes to brokenness in our soul. When it comes to unhealthy habits, a lot of times we say, I'll live with it. We resign ourselves to it. We even maybe accommodate it. When it comes to that dullness that's taken over in my love for my spouse, or that child that's spiraling out of control, or that secret addiction that I haven't had the courage, I've been afraid to let anyone know about, or that unbridled spending, or that unforgiveness that's just hanging on over that pain and that hurt, or that deep disappointment. I asked Jared's mom to share with our church about the deepest disappointments in her life and how she overcame them. And she told about the death of her son at age 13. And she couldn't hide from that disappointment. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, had to come in to that brokenness. Gossip, betrayal, rejection, rebellion. We've got all sorts of brokenness and we're willing to live with it. 
And the Lord told me this past week, he said, Ann, it's just like you with your peeler at Thanksgiving. Now, you guys are wondering, where is she going to go with this? Okay, but I had a different peeler. This is a brand new one that I got on Thanksgiving. Because, or that I got just a day or two after Thanksgiving, actually. Because what happened is, I had had a peeler for years. It was just like the peelers I grew up with. In fact, it was one of those. Right? Because those are the best. So that peeler had lost a lot of its effectiveness. In fact, I had to hold it at a certain angle to get it to work. And even then, a lot of times, it would slip and gouge. It just, it wasn't pretty the way it made fruit or potatoes look. And I had two apple pies to make. Well, I accidentally put it down the garbage disposal. And I didn't know it was there, and I turned it on. And I pulled that peeler up, and now it was obviously broken to me, right? It really wasn't working well. I learned how to hold it right, how to do it just so, and make it work. I tell you, I went over to Kitchen Caboodle because I had two apple pies worth of apples. That's about 12 apples to peel. And I bought this new peeler, and it is amazing. <laughs> okay, it works no matter how I hold it. And uh, that, I mean, I peeled my apples in at least half the time, and I'm kind of an efficiency girl, so I was really disgusted with myself. That I lived with that peeler. I have been married for 37 years, folks. And I have been living with that peeler. And the Lord told me, he said, that's, that's what you do with brokenness. That's what we do with brokenness. We live with these things that we're very familiar with. We're comfortable with them. In fact, we'll do all sorts of crazy things to accommodate these things. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's nostalgia. Sometimes it's, I don't want anybody to know. But we're a lot like this. We're all broken. And Jesus came to take care of the guilt and the shame and the fear that keeps us from bringing it to him. He already knows about it, but somehow we still think we have to do that. He wants that to be his gift to us this Christmas. He wants to bring you a gift of wholeness, of completeness in some area of your life. Now, when I was a freshman in college, I decided to tackle this issue in my family, this alcoholism. And to do that, I called a man named Sam Graves. He actually went to my church that I was part of in my college years. And he was the head of Serenity Lane, the program that still exists today. And I went and met with him. And then he arranged that I could sit with a family that was going through their own process of dealing or addressing the alcoholism and the addiction in their family. And it was the beginning of my talking to somebody else who could bring me to a place of wholeness, who could help me open up to wholeness in my life. But the thing I've learned is there's always something. It can be as simple as the impatience that I like to blame on being an activator. Y'all heard of that? That's strength finders language for the just do it people in life. Okay? I'm not talking about low impulse control. I'm talking about if there's a job to be done, you get that puppy done and you get it done as fast as possible. And there's all sorts of ways to justify the brokenness. And yet, even that, my impatience, God wants to work in that. He wants to slow me down. He's used so many people here to do that. It's been awesome. And that's his invitation to us today. I have these questions for you. What have you been living with 
that Jesus wants to fix? And how have you accommodated your brokenness? Maybe even come to love it a little bit. You can use your brokenness, you know, for some things that we like. So Marley and the band are going to come and they're going to sing this wonderful invitation to you. And I hope you'll hear Jesus, the Prince of Peace, with his hands outstretched with a gift in it. And he's inviting you to come to lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All of you are broken. Lift up your face. Wander, come home. You're not too far. Lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart.